to be here to worship God this morning. Anybody excited? Come on. I don't know about you, but uh, I was so moved uh, by this last uh, portion of our service where we gave. Uh, this is my family. You're my family. And uh, I, I have big dreams for what I believe God wants to do here in this family. And um, it just moves me to think that we're all investing in that for the future. Amen? I want to say thank you again. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. It's an honor to be speaking to you. And uh, uh, um, if you're visiting with us, I'm so happy that you've chosen to be with us this morning. And uh, we, we want you to feel like you're an honored guest here in our church, that you are a part of our family. Uh, I'm just a man up here on stage, and uh, I got to remind myself of that every once in a while, uh, because the power to change your life doesn't lie with any words that I'm going to tell you this morning. It's going to lie in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit moving in you. Amen? And uh, we just finished a series on the Holy Spirit. And I know for many of us, maybe you're visiting, that sounds a little uh, mystical, but the Holy Spirit is real. And, and He wants to move in our lives. And I, and I believe that we are a church that will be on fire for Jesus. I'm speaking words of life over everybody in here today, that we're going to ignite a fire and this is going to be a buzz in this church again. Come on, somebody. It's going to be good. And uh, it's a promise, isn't it? I mean, isn't that what we've seen over the last four or five weeks? That God has made a promise to you? That Jesus said, it's better for you that I leave so that my Holy Spirit will come and be with you? Isn't that a promise? And so to direct our, our hearts as we begin this morning, I wanted to read you something in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1. And Paul here says, for no matter how many, what does that say? I didn't, I heard two people. How about everybody else? Promises. promises. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? Yes. In Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Can I get an amen? amen? Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I love this passage. I mean, I love how he just goes to say, for no matter how many promises that God has made, that they are yes in Christ. Aren't you grateful that God hasn't changed his mind about you? I mean, what if God just decided this morning that he wanted to change the way he loved you? What if you woke up this morning and God decided to withdraw his love from your life? That he took back his promise of the Holy Spirit we would be completely and utterly hopeless. Yet it's only because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that we can stand firm in Christ. So Paul says, can I get one more amen? amen. I believe someone needs to know this morning that every single promise, whether you're a visitor or not, every single promise that God has made in Scripture is still available for you right now. It's still available. 
Our God is a faithful God. He's the same God as he was 2,000 years ago, as he is today, as he will be tomorrow. He never changes, which means he keeps his promises to his children. And we are his children. God, we come to you in prayer. This morning, we, we, God, we are desperate for you. And God, if just like Moses prayed in Exodus 33, he says, God, do not send me if your presence will not be with me. God, we do not want to do anything today if you don't send your presence with us. God, even if it's to success, God, success is not worth the price of your presence this morning. God, we need you. We're desperate for you. God, we're excited. We're grateful that you are a faithful God. And we apologize for our unfaithfulness to you. And I ask that you would move our hearts this morning. That there might be a tendency for us to think that this isn't for us. But it is, God. And so I pray that you would speak to us. And God, that you would move in our hearts. It's only something that you can do. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you give three people a high five and tell them he is faithful. Can you do that? Amen. He's faithful. It's good news. It's good news. You know, I was thinking, uh, my wife and I, Ayumi, she's actually at home. My, my daughter has a fever right now, and, uh, but they're watching online, so thank God that we have uh, our online presence. But um, I was just thinking about it the other day. We're coming up on our fifth anniversary, and um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gone fast, and it's been amazing. And um, this next week uh, will be the five-year mark of when I proposed to Ayumi. Uh, down in Laguna Beach. And I remember how nervous I was. I mean, I was pretty confident she'd say yes. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, I mean, I was hoping, actually. But um, I was nervous because I knew it was a big step. And, and I remember the realization while we were dating, like there's this moment when we were dating where it's kind of like you start asking yourself this question like where are things going? It's kind of like that moment in time where you define the relationship. You know what I'm saying? Is this going somewhere or are we just going to be friends? You know, and we were old enough at that point to, to think that way, you know. It's not like a, you know, 16-year-old going, where am I going? Like, no, you can't get married yet. Um, <laughs> But in every romantic relationship, there, there comes a point where it's important to define where things are. Wouldn't you agree? There comes a point where you define where things stand and you ask this question, is this going anywhere? Is this casual? Or is this going to be something that's going to be more committed? And... In other words, has this relationship moved past infatuation and into something deeper? And here's the thing, how you feel about that talk is usually determined 
by how committed you are to the relationship. And so if you're comfortable with that relationship and you like where things are at, you're probably not going to want to have that conversation. But if you're looking forward and you desire to move deeper into this relationship, you, you will gladly have that conversation with the other person. You know what I'm saying? So it's like how committed you are determines how you feel about that conversation. But here's what I want to ask you to do this morning. I want to ask you to define the relationship between you and Jesus. No matter, no matter who you are or what you believe, I don't care. I mean, I do care. But you could have been baptized 40 years ago. Or you might just be visiting for the first time. Regardless of who you are or what your background is, I want you to define the relationship between you and Jesus. Specifically, I want you to do that by answering this question. Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a fan or are you a follower of Jesus? I think that question really helps define where things stand in your relationship with Christ. Because you see, a fan is what the, the dictionary would define as an enthusiastic admirer. An enthusiastic admirer. And, and a fan of Jesus might be someone who comes to church every Sunday and every Tuesday night. You know, a fan of Jesus might be someone who reads their Bible and takes notes. You might, a fan of Jesus might be somebody who, who knows the words to all the worship songs that we sing. And you actually sing along. Wow. But that doesn't necessarily mean that we are a follower. And so here's what a fan will do. A fan will find a seat in the crowd. Will find a seat in the crowd. And as long as the season is going well, they'll cheer for Jesus. But the minute things start to go bad and there's a few losses along the way, the crowd begins to disperse. And many of the fans who were just cheering for Jesus are now going home. You see, the thing about fans is they want a relationship with Jesus, but they want him to be their Burger King. You know what I mean? No, you don't know what I mean yet. Like they want a relationship with Jesus, but they want it their way. You know what I mean? Have it your way. You get it? You want Jesus to be your Burger King. You know, you want to follow Jesus close enough to get all the benefits, but not too close that it requires sacrifice. In other words, what they're looking for is a relationship with what we would call no strings attached. Where you can connect with him from time to time, but it doesn't really change anything in your life. He's like a backpack that you put on and you take off when you want to. And so today I want to preach to you on the subject of crowds. And the subtitle of my message would be the, the, the jersey and the ring. I like that. It's like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. You know what I mean? It's like the jersey and the ring. And I want to talk about this idea that, that Jesus is looking for you and me to take a step out from the crowd and take a stand for him. And yet as much as Jesus wants you to take a stand for him, there's another phrase that I think we need to understand if we're really going to 
take a stand for Christ. And it's this idea of taking a stand with Christ. Standing with Christ, not just for Christ. You see, a fan can be for someone, but a follower is with someone. You might be wondering what's the difference, but the way I see it is that I can support something. You know, I could be for something, but not really be involved. You know, I could support something, but not really be invested. Which is why I think I was so moved by the special missions offering this morning. Yeah, I'm for special, I'm for foreign missions all the way. But when it requires me to give, am I investing? Am I, vol- am I involved? Am, am, I, am I with it or, if, or am I just for it? You know what I mean? Like I could be for someone and I could support something from a distance. But being with someone means I'm standing right by their side in the battle. It means I'm on the front line ready to engage. Come on, somebody. And so the idea of taking a stand with Christ is such a powerful one that I want to look at a character in Scripture that if anybody knew what it was like to be with Christ, it would be this guy. I'm talking about the Apostle Peter, who was with Christ in a special way. In fact, we all know that Jesus had 12 disciples. But in that group, there were three guys that were really like the closest followers to Jesus. And Peter was one of those three within the group of 12. So there were the crowds, and there were the multitudes, and then there were the 12, and then there were the three. And Peter, at the end of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus Christ, is with Christ, but not really. He's with Christ, but not really. Like he was with Christ, but not really with him. And the scene that I want to show you starts in Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is being dragged away to be crucified. The religious leaders are are so threatened by Jesus to the extent that they want him to be exterminated. They were so jealous of Jesus that they wanted to kill him. You see, they were thinking that if they killed Jesus, then his mission would be abandoned. At least that's what they thought. But little did they know that that was the worst idea in the history of mankind, to kill the Son of God. Because if you kill him, he's only going to multiply. Come on. Come on, somebody. Come on. This is a two-way street. It's a two-way street. Come on. Thank you, John. Now we see Jesus Christ being led away to trial as the hour of darkness approaches. And we're going to watch and see Peter's response to everything that's going on. And I want to remind you that this is somebody who was with Jesus, okay? This is somebody who was with Jesus every day. He saw Jesus do amazing things, but wasn't really with Jesus. And I think some of us are going to relate a little bit to Peter today. If you would just open your heart to what God wants to say to you. And so the scripture says in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, It says, then seizing him, Jesus, they led him away and took him into the house 
of the high priest. And Peter followed at a distance. Peter followed at a distance. I want to point out to you that that sometimes in our own walk with Jesus, we're following him, but not completely. In other words, we're following him, but we're following him at a distance, which means I'm with him, but I'm not too close to him because being close to Jesus can sometimes cost me something. Being close to him can sometimes be intimidating. Being close to Jesus can sometimes require us going into some uncomfortable places. It might require you to dig some things up in your heart that you do not want to dig up, that you would rather not deal with. And so Peter is with him, but he follows at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, it says Peter sat down with them. He sat down with them. So he came with Christ. You see, Peter was called to follow Christ. And he left his nets because he was a fisherman. And he followed Jesus three years earlier. But now at the hour of decision, he sits down with the crowd in the courtyard as Jesus makes his way to the cross. If I were to be honest, I think that's the picture of the kind of Christian that we see a lot in our culture today. I mean, we want God to transform us from the inside out through his Holy Spirit and we want our lives to be different. But when it comes to being with Christ, sometimes we don't take our stand with him, but we take our seat with the crowd. Being a Christian, however, is when you go from sitting with the crowd to standing with Jesus Christ, unashamed to glorify him, unashamed of his name. And what we're going to see is that there were three different people that recognized Peter. And three times Peter denied his connection to Jesus. Look at the first one in verse 56. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him. With who? Jesus. This man was with him. So in other words, Peter had the looks of someone who was with Christ. Like he had the appearance. Like I remember in high school, I used to wear uh, brands like Quicksilver, and I would wear things like Rip Curl, And, you know, when you think of those brands or brands like that, what do you think about? Surfing, right? Some of us know that. You think, that's that's a surfing brand. And so Mike Mead wearing Quicksilver, flip-flops, wearing, you know, some board shorts. You'd be like, dude, this guy is a surfer. Why? Because I have the appearance of a surfer. But I've surfed maybe once, and I stood up. (laughs) once on a surfboard in my lifetime. So by my appearance, you would say, hey, look, he's a surfer, but I'm not. These people are looking at Peter and they say, this man was with him. He had the appearance of being with Christ. But was he really with him? I 
but he denied it. Girl, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are one of them. In other words, they thought that Peter, sorry, they thought that Peter was with Jesus because of the group that he hung out with. In other words, they, they thought Peter was a follower of Christ because of his affiliation. Not only did he have the appearance, but, but he hung out with people who were spiritual. Right? Man, I'm not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. In other words, where Peter was from, made him look like he was with Jesus. Did you know that you can look like you're with Christ? Did you know that you can have the appearance of someone who is with Christ and you can be around other people who are with Christ and you can also be from a place where you've heard a lot about God and the Bible and the gospel but never really be with him? Peter proves it three times when they asked him, are you with him? And it really just bothers me. It bothers me that Peter would lie, just flat out lie about knowing Jesus and that he would do it multiple times. I mean, okay, maybe the first time it caught you off guard, Peter, I give you that, right? You know, you had your sunglasses on and your hat was down and you didn't think anybody would recognize you, but then there was that one girl, right? She's kind of like a stalker. So you got a little bit surprised and taken back in the moment. So you played it off. I get it. But three times Peter said, I'm not with him. I don't know him. It just bothers me that he would lie like that after all the Lord had done for him. I mean, come on, Peter. You were with him when he fed 5,000 men, women, and children with nothing more than a few loaves of bread and fish. Come on, you were with him when he called you out from the boat in that storm, and you walked on water. And then you started to sink. But then Jesus saved you. I mean, he could have just let you drown. Jesus wasn't ashamed of you. So why would you lie? You were with him when he was healing. You were with him when he was casting out demons and performing miracles. You were with him when he healed your mother-in-law. Maybe that's why Peter denied Jesus. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I shouldn't joke around about that. So. Just kidding. You know, the thing I see now, though, the, the thing I see now, though, is that perhaps Peter wasn't really lying when he, wasn't, when he said he wasn't with Jesus. Like, it seems like he's lying about it. But the other day I thought to myself, maybe he was never really with him. Now, you may or may not know this about me, but I am a huge sports fan. I love sports. My teens know I can get a little over-competitive sometimes. 
And in particular, I really love the game of football. I see some of them laughing. I know you, I see you. But I love the game of football. I mean, I love playing any sport, really. But, but specifically, I love the game of football. I love playing it. I love play, playing it when I was in high school. And I love watching both college and professional football, even, even now. And the team I like professionally is honestly a really bad football team. Horrible. I'm not exaggerating. They literally were the worst football team in the NFL last year. The worst team. They had the first pick in the draft. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> worst team in the NFL. Any other fans in there? Probably not, right? <laughs> now, most of you probably have no idea who the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are. That's probably the first time you ever heard of that team. Maybe you don't even know where Tampa Bay is. It's in Florida. But the reason I became a Buccaneers fan is because of this guy right here. He's going to come up. Derek Brooks. Anybody ever remember watching Derek Brooks? Anybody remember this guy? A few of us. Derek Brooks. This guy was an absolute beast, okay? Derek Brooks is a Hall of Fame linebacker. Hall of Famer that played for the Buccaneers. And he was an amazing player, an incredible linebacker. He led his team to its first Super Bowl victory back in 2002 when he won Defensive Player of the Year, MVP. And I admired him so much. I mean, he was the guy that was like considered undersized, but he was one of the best players on the field. He gave everything he had on every play. And I admired him so much that when I played high school football, I not only played linebacker, but I wore the number 55, double nickel. Come on, somebody. In fact, in fact, this week I went digging in my parents' basement and, and I found something. Wanna see? Look what I found in, in my that's the Charter Oak Chargers. Double nickel. In fact, give me a second, real quick. I was, 30, I was 30 pounds bigger when I wore this jersey in high school. I'm not reliving the past. I moved on, I promise. It really was in my parents' basement. It wasn't in my closet, I promise. And I remember I was watching, I was watching a, uh, a Buccaneers game uh, while I was in high school. And during the game, I began to notice how many people in the crowd were wearing a jersey. His jersey, to be specific. I mean, you look all around the stadium, and there were hundreds, if not thousands, of fans wearing a number 55 jersey. And people all over the crowd were cheering for him. And at one point during the game, you know, like during games, during plays, they kind of get shots of the crowd, right? Well, during the game, one of the cameras managed to get a shot of his wife in the crowd. And it was in that moment that I came to the shocking realization that his wife wasn't wearing his jersey. Now, come on. 
got no love for your husband, putting his, his body on the line out there. Why aren't you wearing his jersey? A lot of fat white guys wearing his jersey. But she was wearing his ring. See, this is his wife. Oh, wait. That was me. I had dinner with I'm, That's real right there. <laughs> I'm sorry. It was like one in the morning last night, and that was a good dinner, by the way. I'm just kidding. I wasn't really there. Okay. <laughs> it's a picture of his wife. I don't know if you see that on her finger right there. What is that? That's a ring. You see, it's one thing to wear the jersey. It's one thing to be a fan. Because if you're a fan and you wear the jersey, you can take the jersey off when you get home. Put it on one day a week. And as long as you win, I'm with you. But when you wear the ring, you got to go home with number 55. Win or lose, up or down, injured or healthy, whether he makes the tackle or he misses it. I made a vow to my wife almost five years ago. I said, I promise to cherish you, to take care of you through, 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 through sickness and in health for richer or for poorer, when things are good and when things are bad, when I have a good week, when I have a bad week, no matter what happens, I'm going home with Ayumi every day. I don't care how hard it gets, I'm gonna love you, I'm gonna serve you, I'm gonna walk with you, I'm gonna lift you up, I'm gonna encourage you, I'm gonna do everything in my power Because this ring is a symbol of my love for you. I took off my jersey and I put on the ring. You see, there's a big difference between the ring and the jersey. Following Jesus is saying, I don't just wear the jersey. I'm not just another fan in the crowd. I'm not just for Jesus when times are good and when he can do something for me. No, I am with him. I wear the ring. I got the rock. He's mine and I'm his all day, every day. You see, Peter was for Jesus as long as Jesus was doing things for Peter. But to really be with him means you are with him even when things are good. And you're with him when things are bad. Standing with Jesus is like wearing a ring, not wearing a jersey. Now don't get me wrong. A ring doesn't make you married. I mean, you could essentially wear a wedding ring and not really be married. It's kind of desperate if you do that. Stop it. But it shows to the world who you belong to. And I think it's so interesting how in Luke 22, we have Peter in the courtyard sitting with the crowds as Jesus is being crucified. 
But you fast forward into Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has not only died, but he's risen from the grave. And when he got up, he appeared to the disciples. And when he went up into heaven, his spirit came down on the day of Pentecost. Because he said earlier that I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. Because the spirit is how I'm not only going to be with you, but in you. And what's interesting is that the same guy who was sitting with the crowd on the day of the crucifixion, look at this, you're going to like this, is the same guy who does this in chapter 2, verse 14 of Acts. Then Peter what? Can I, can I hear it one more time? Then Peter with the 11. Peter stood up with the 11. Maybe you're wondering the same thing I'm wondering. What happened to Peter? The same Peter who was sitting down with the crowd is now all of a sudden standing up with the 11 and starts to preach about Jesus Christ. Why? Well, because now Jesus has risen and the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is inside every believer who will take a stand for him and say, I'm wearing the ring. I'm living for you and with you. I will declare the name of Jesus Christ. So Peter goes from weeping and crying in the courtyard after the rooster crows to standing and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. I believe that can happen to somebody today. I believe that can happen to somebody today. We just got through this series, Forgotten God, the promise of the Holy Spirit, what it was like to see the Spirit moving in the church. It was amazing. But I believe it's time for some of us to take a stand with Christ. Then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. By the way, he was speaking to religious people. Wasn't he? To the Jews and all who live in Jerusalem. It wasn't people who didn't know anything about religion. He was speaking to people who were very religious. I point that out because being religious doesn't mean you're with Christ. You know, just because you've been baptized or you grew up in the church as a kingdom kid, that doesn't mean you are with Jesus. In fact, sometimes it's our own sense of religion that can keep us from being close in our relationship with him. Let me explain this to you, Peter said. Listen carefully to what I say. These people, these people, the ones who were filled with the Holy Spirit, when, when the fire of God came down and they started speaking in different languages and different tongues and they started changing right before their very eyes. He said, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. But it's five o'clock somewhere. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just came into my mind. Sometimes I shouldn't say those things. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. How many? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, I want to ask you if it might just be your time 
to go from sitting by the fire to standing with the Lord. And Peter started preaching with so much power that the people were convicted. And it was just like they knew that God was speaking to them and calling them out. Peter concludes in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Not only is the one that, you, that came to save you, but he's your Lord. We can all be fans of somebody who came to save us, but will we follow our Lord, Jesus Christ? Will we stand with him? When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you. Every one of you, not the ones who have it all figured out and got their act together. Every one of you. Not the ones who have demonstrated a sufficient level of holiness. Every one of you. Every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far, far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, will call. The promise is for who? What did we read about earlier? The, the what? The promises that God has made are always what? Yes, in Christ Jesus. Let me remind you, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody say yes. yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken. Everybody give me an amen. amen. By us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you do what? Stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Wow. Wow. So who's this message for? For all whom the Lord our God will call. And then verse 40 is hilarious. I like it. With many other words, he warned them. This means that Peter preached a long time with many other words, right? Luke just got tired of recording the sermon. He's like, yeah, and Peter wrote a lot of other stuff, you know? He said a lot of other things. With any other words, he, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. You see, I've heard a lot of people say things like, well, it feels like, I just feel like so much pressure. I feel like you're pressuring me. Okay. In which I would respond, well, I'm not pressuring you, I'm, I'm pleading with you. Now there's a big difference between pressure and pleading. Follow me for a second. Pressure is me trying to get you to do something for my benefit. Okay, it's not like I get paid a commission every time a teen gets baptized. Like cha-ching, like that doesn't happen. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, okay? Pleading on the other hand, is me trying to get you to do something for your benefit. It's for you. I would do anything short of sin to get every one of you to trust Christ and take a stand with him and follow him today. He was pleading with them to save themselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized 
and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It says that those who accepted his message were baptized. So there were some people who accepted the message about Jesus, and then there were others who didn't. Just like some of us here today can accept the message, or we can reject it. This is for somebody else. How many people accepted it? 3,000. You can too. But about 3,000, it says, were added to the number that day after they memorized 10 Bible verses and Proverbs. No, no, I didn't say that. After they demonstrated sufficient righteousness. Wait, I didn't say that one either. Okay. After they went home to talk to their family about when it would be a good time to get baptized so their whole family could be there to take pictures. Nope, didn't say that one either. No, no, the scripture says that those who accepted his message were baptized and added to the number that day. That day. That's an immediate response to what Jesus has done for you and me. So here's my question for you. Why not this day? Why not this day? Why not wear the ring today? Could this be the day that a dad finally says, I'm going to set the example for my family? Today is the day I'm going to go. I'm going to become the spiritual leader by obeying Jesus because before I can be a leader of people, I got to be a follower of Christ. And if I'm going to be with him, then I can't warm myself by the fire in the courtyard with the crowds. I need to stand with him. Could this be the day? where entire families come together and say, from now on, as for us and our house, we will serve the Lord. We will serve the Lord. You know, we've been for Jesus for a long time, and he's done a lot for us, but today we stand with him. We wear the ring as a family. We belong to Jesus. And so as we close out this message this morning, I'd like to ask everybody to stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Let's, let's, let's have some participation you know, what I really love about Peter, what I really love about Peter and the reason we looked at his story today is because after Peter had denied Jesus, there was a moment recorded in John chapter 21 when Jesus came to him and Peter was back fishing. You see, some historians believe that Peter had maybe given up on his calling to follow Jesus. He must have figured that it didn't matter anymore that Jesus had called him because he had severely disappointed Jesus when he denied him. But in John chapter 21, that very moment when Peter saw Jesus standing on the shore, John says that Peter jumped out of the boat. Peter jumped out of the boat into the water and he started swimming to get to Jesus as fast as he could. So no matter what your situation is in your life right now, I believe Jesus is calling you to follow him again with all your heart. To not just wear a jersey, but to wear the ring. To never be ashamed. To take a stand with Christ and to proclaim his name to all generations. The question is, will you jump out of the crowd? Will you jump out of the boat? I know it's safe in there. I know it's safe in the boat. I know it feels comfortable. 
but will you take the leap? And as we take communion this morning, he took that leap for you. Just as Jesus would come and meet with Peter to reestablish and reaffirm his love for him, this is an opportunity for us to come to Jesus in prayer. And no matter what kind of week it's been, what the ups and downs, it's a time for you to reestablish and reaffirm your love for Christ. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Was it coincidence? I don't think so. He said, Peter, do you love me? He said, yes, you know, Lord, I love you. And so as we take communion, let's move from wearing jerseys to wearing a ring. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for the way you move. God, we're, we're grateful that you sent Jesus for us. But God, I feel like some of us have been wearing a jersey spiritually. God, we've been a fan in the crowd, but we haven't followed you wholeheartedly. I pray that today would be the day we put that ring on and we make a decision that I'm gonna stand with you. You're not with me. You're not following me. No, I'm with you. I'm following you, Jesus. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you've done in my life, for every one of us in this room, for the way you laid your life down so that we could be saved. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. I pray that this time would not be another communion, but that it would be a life-changing moment as we take the bread that represents your body and the juice that represents your blood, that we would remember Christ and that we would make a decision today that we will proclaim his name till he comes back. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.